Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. After a month of uncertainty surrounding the domestic and European schedules, the 2021 Six Nations has been given the green light to go ahead as scheduled. And over the next eight weeks, we'll be with you throughout the tournament every Monday to analyse and dissect all the major talking points on and off the field. England heading to the tournament as favourites after impressive 2020, which saw them lift both the Six Nations and the Autumn Nations Cup. First up, Freddie Jones' side is a clash at home to Scotland and we'll be looking ahead in detail to that game and also to Scotland's chances with my co-host, the former Scotland scrum half, Rory Lawson. 2020 was a year to forget for many and in particular, it was painful for everyone associated with Welsh rugby, which I'm sure we're all pleased about. Head uh, coach Wayne Pivak won just three games in his first year in charge and heads into the Six Nations this year with questions over whether he is the right man to lead them to the World Cup in 2023. They open their campaign with a match at home to Ireland. And we'll get the thoughts of the former Wales and Lions number eight, Scott Quinnell, on how he expects them to perform this time out. England's women ended 2020 as a world's number one ranked side, but they begin 2021 facing the uncertainty after the Women's Six Nations has been postponed. A date for when the tournament will go ahead is expected to be announced soon, but with the World Cup on the horizon, what effect could this have on the teams? We'll get the thoughts of Red Roses head coach Simon Middleton about the postponement and whether or not he expects it to have a knock-on effect for his side as they prepare to head to New Zealand later this year. And as ever, we'll be answering your questions, including what will happen to the Lions Tour after conflicting reports that it could be held in both Australia, the UK, instead of South Africa. As I said, alongside me today is the former Scotland scrum half, Rory Lawson. Hi. Brian, great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Look, before we get into this year's Six Nations, what have you... Uh, made of how the game has dealt with the pandemic in general over the past year? Yeah, well, I guess like everything, um, the, the pandemic's thrown us into uncharted territory, hasn't it? In, in, into waters that none of us have ever, ever navigated before. And I think as a result, we've just had to be pretty reactive. Um, on the whole, you know, we've been led by government restrictions. There was obviously a pause to professional sports through lockdown one, I think, it seems like forever ago. Um, but I actually think that the the domestic game reacted pretty well with, you know, the Premiership brought weekend and midweek games in, gave opportunities to, 
to squads that have been starved of action. Um, I think that, you know, the, the Guinness Pro 14s continued to tick along. They went to sort of Sunday, Monday games through spells, which for the wider public was a bit of relief from more homeschooling and homeworking environments <laughs> oh, um, yeah. and, and so on. So I think on the whole, I think the games reacted pretty well. Um, we've still been able to get action, which has been the main thing. The no crowds undoubtedly has shifted um, some of the on-field product, I think. Um, but, you know, as, as we're all desperate to see crowds back in stadium and stadiums and hopefully that'll come this year. Um, I put this forward just as a you know a moot point, really, to my Twitter followers as to whether or not they were um, looking forward to the Six Nations. And um, there was a fairly mixed reaction, actually. You know, some people said they were desperate because, as you say, they've been starved of any sort of rugby and you know, something was better than nothing. But a lot of people just said without crowds, hadn't really worked up the same enthusiasm. Do you, I mean, when we actually get to the... Uh, action itself. Do you think the levels of excitement will will click back into place, irrespective of, as we all know, rugby is not the same. In no sport is the same without crowds. But do you yeah, expect but, that the, 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 the action itself will, 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 will engender some more enthusiasm? Well, I certainly hope so. I think if, but if you take everything to, into account, you know, we got, we got four-fifths of the Six, Nation done, Six Nations done last year before the pandemic hit and, and the final round of matches were, were compromised. Um, you know, there were still, still uh, crowds in the stadiums, um, you know, th- this time last year. So it's a big shift. We've had the Autumn Nations Cup, which nobody can deny wasn't exactly the product that we wanted it to be. It was, you know, it was, it was really attritional. It was, there was a lot of kicking. There were, you know, there were fewer tries than anybody would have hoped for less time ball in hand. Um, so there needs to be a shift from that, I think, but I guess, you know, Brian, you and you, your followers, if you think about the way that they would typically be thinking about a six nations, whether they had a ticket to the game whether they had already named their pub and got it out on the WhatsApp group for all the boys and girls to go yeah, and yeah. book the table, get your luncheon uh, sorted out, ready for kickoff, or, or whether you were just having a few pals over at home to watch the watch the rugby, you know that is what generates the initial excitement, and then you start talking about. You know, then you start reading in the newspapers, and midweek comes, and you start getting some of the in, the the, uh, the insight from the coaches and the players, and they start building the appetite. You imagine what this would have been like: hundred fiftieth anniversary of the the first Scotland England game this weekend. Not, you know, you would have had so much anticipation building, and we are missing that. But hopefully, the action at the weekend won't let us down. Well, let's turn to the hundred fiftieth. I mean. Uh, England, with the bookies at least, are heavy favourites. I uh, made the point in, in my column that, you know, and I go, the reason I say this every year is it's true every year, and you know that the first game of a Six Nations is one where everyone says, look, sacrifice style substance, just win. Because if you win, you can go forward from a position of strength, and if you lose, you're thinking, God, if we lose another one, the title is gone. Anything, any pretense we had to do anything has gone and we're in firefighting mode. And also, for England, more pressure because the correlation between home in the Six Nations and winning is quite strong. So if you register a win away like Scotland are looking to do, that's a big thing. Um, so what do you, what are your, what are your feeling? Are we, are we looking for another 11-try thriller? <laughs> 
Hey, I'd take it. I'd take a thirty-eight all for the for the first game, undoubtedly. Look, Brian, I, I think um, when you take it, you don't need to tell a Scotsman that it's important to win your first game because it's something that we've been pretty poor at across the last 10, 20 years, probably. And getting out the blocks, building momentum, getting into it. Um, you know, for for Scotland, it's it's a huge thing. For every team in the in the tournament, it's a huge thing because you're trying to reel things in if you don't win that that opening match. From a Scottish perspective, this this year though, I think it's slightly different because whilst, you know, the, the coaches will tell you it's a game at a time, I think Scotland have to be aware that they're going down to Twickenham to the favourites home. And they'll, they'll go down with huge excitement, huge internal expectation. But they have to be aware that they're coming up against you know, the Six Nations champions, the Autumn Nations Cup champions, the Rugby World Cup finalists. And don't put so much on that, that if you get a bump and you don't come away with the result that you're looking for, that suddenly you're thinking panic stations. What what do we do next? We've got Wales at home in the second game. So the first game definitely has a huge importance. And for Scotland, they'll have been eyeing this up for a while because if you look at the makeup of this, the England squad, they're probably the most Injury impacted squad, um, and you added yeah. Joe Marler to that equation. Well, the missing, yes. the missing three, the missing three um, are the four starting props. Yeah. Now you know Scotland wobbled. I mean, I thought Scotland had got over the being bullied thing. They they got, they got slightly undone uh, in, in the Autumn Nations, but I think when you look at their their, their starting front six, you know, for, for six players. Um, for the for the three uh, front row positions, that that's strong, and and I'd suggest actually probably stronger and more experienced than England are going to put out, and that's that's somewhere where I think they're going to have to have a go at England. Definitely, um, you know, I, I I think you know a heck of a lot more about scrummaging than I do, Brian. So I wouldn't start to go into the the finer detail of it, but. Um, the, the one thing I would say is Scotland have lost a huge amount of experience at hooker. Stuart McAnally, Fraser Brown, both out of this opening game. And it's a brilliant opportunity for George Turner, who's an absolute powerhouse, really quick on his feet, makes big defensive shots. But you know he'll be under under pressure at the line-out to get his arrows right at scrum. You know, Fraser Brown is well known for his scrummaging strength. Stuart McAnally, similarly so. George Turner... Big afternoon for him, probably between Xander Fagerson at tighthead prop and Rory Sutherland, who I think has been a revelation since returning from a, a long-term injury. Um, and you, in, in behind, you've got you know you've got the options of the two Gray brothers now. Great to see Richie back. Um, Scott Cummings, who's who's really come through. I think he's played seventeen consecutive tests for Scotland. Do you think they'll pick uh, Blade Thompson at eight for for an extra lineup option or not? Well, uh, possibly. I think I think it will depend on the dynamic. I know Jamie Ritchie uh, has had a he had a head knock a couple of weeks ago, so I, I think he'll be desperate to get back. Gregor Townsend will be desperate to have him at six and Hamish Watson at seven. The number eight still is a huge area of contention for Scotland. Nobody has nailed it down over the past two, three years. Um, in the mix, you've got Matt Fagerson from Glasgow. You've got Gary Graham, who's going really well for Newcastle Falcons. Um, and then you've got Blade Thompson, who is quietly going about his work at the Scarlets. But that's an area that I think whoever's given this first opportunity, if they could grab it, they would really have um, have, have the, the the running with it. Yeah, so I was just thinking, forward. I mean, if you have extra height there, that puts pressure on England because Vunipola's strength, and he's got lots of strengths, Billy Vunipola, but he's not as a line-out player. 
You know, that yeah. means Curry has to sort of, Curry has to do a lot more work in the line out, which takes yeah. him out of the first, you know, the first breakdown probably if he's a receiver, and all sorts of things start to go. Oh, as well as Scotland, eight is an area which no one's nailed down. So it's twelve, isn't it? I think it's a different dynamic now. If you look at look at Scotland, um, Finn Russell grabs the headlines and quite quite justifiably so. He has the Hollywood, he has real X factor. He has the ability to unlock any defence in the world, as was shown in the second half at Twickenham two years ago. Um, outside him, there's there's a number of options. And what it comes down to is the balance. And if you look at last year's Six Nations for Scotland, you know, they only scored seven tries. They, they, they had 77 points for, which was the second fewest. The, the only other side outside of Italy, uh, the only side outside of Italy who had fewer than 100 points in the competition. So that was a big drop-off. Now, they're harder to beat because their defence is really good. So, you know, Steve Tandy's come in, done a brilliant job. Peter de Villiers done a really good job with the scrum. Line-out needs improvement, but this midfield attack is a fascinating area. I would I have to say, I would love to, I would get really, really excited if I saw Ali Price, Finn Russell, Cam Redpath debuting, and Chris Harris or Duncan Taylor at 13. Um, that would really excite me because then you've got the ability to to unlock a back three that have such dynamism, such try scoring ability, um, and it could be that that could be the answer. But it's whether he goes for the tried and tested Taylor and Harris as the twelve thirteen option, safe defensively, but maybe don't give Scotland that ability to unlock a good defence. Uh, well, I think you know I, I also wrote that I you know England have to get after that half back pairing, you know, and it, as much. Um, a point about putting pressure on Russell is putting pressure on what comes, you know, inside him to make sure that you know that service is for England is is, is compromised because if you let Russell have uh, his way, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting that you know Captain Stuart Hogg said he's come back a completely different character. Um, I'm not sure what that what does what does that mean. <laughs> Well, I, I think he's he's just launched himself back into things, and he's probably grown up a bit. I yeah, mean, yeah. being honest, like Finn, in all in all honesty, Finn is an incredibly laid back, back bloke. If you don't know him, you you think he doesn't care, and he had his misdemeanor, but I think he's learned from that and realised that when he comes into camp now, he's a senior player. Yeah, you know, come in and make an impact. You've got fifty caps. Now's your time to settle into this squad and actually make it your team. It's you know, it's a little bit like. Your Farrell at England or your Danny Cipriani. I know it's probably not a brilliant example, but when he was at Gloucester or he was at Wasps, everybody in the team looked to him for guidance. He, he, he totally um, navigated the, the, the way that the team played. And I think Finn has that ability. If he directs players, has them understand what he needs to be at his best, then he can bring the best out in others. So I definitely think, you know, the, the game's going to be decided in around that collision area, as it always is. And the interpretation of the breakdown now does favour the defensive team who can get over the top of the ball. So when you have Curry in that area, when you have Billy Vinopola in that area, when you have Maro Atoji in that area, Jamie George is good over ball. You know, those are all guys that you Scotland have to be incredibly accurate around the breakdown to generate front football that gives Finn Russell the opportunity to play his game. But I think for Finn, it'll be, we need to see his whole bag of tricks. We need to see his kicking right in behind that rushing England defence uh, to try and get the ball back. We'll have to see his long kicking, um, his goal kicking and his distribution skills. 
Well, you mentioned front foot ball. I was saying that um, England, when they have a power option in the centre, um, are a completely different team because it takes pressure off the forward runners and all sorts of things. But anyway, when they don't have that, if you have the Ford Farrell Slade axis, we all know what that can do. We all know it can be creative, but it isn't the, that does rely on having front foot ball because they don't have the option to smash something up, you know, and pull things around in the centre. So I, I, you know, I'm just agreeing with you that the. The, the breakdown, who gets on top there, who can give their halfbacks, if, if they have the combinations, which I think they will do, um, both relying on front football, that will go a long way to, to deciding this. We'll, we'll leave that for a second. We'll, we'll talk about Wales and Scott Quinnell in a moment. But um, uh, in your heart of hearts, what, what, what is the... Uh, we all know that Scotland can do it. Uh, the composite of the teams look like that. What do you... you know, my, my heart and head says England narrowly, principally because they're at home, actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, England have been disrupted, obviously, with a bit of time with uh, with some of the management team um, having to self-isolate. They, they have been hit, impacted by injuries. I think Mako Vinopolo will be a huge loss for them. When you talk about front football, he is the work rate who he puts in, the carries that he puts in, um, is very difficult to replace. I think Scotland need to do a lot right to, to win. You know, it's... <laughs> The historians, 1983 was the last time that Scotland won down at Twickenham. Halftime, two years ago, I was saying, you know, Scotland need to stop it from going beyond 60 points. And they ended up coming away with a draw. So a number of, you know, a load of that squad will have been involved in that game. There will be belief, belief that they can do it, but they have to make the most of the momentum when they get it. And they have to be way more clinical than they have been through the Autumn Nations uh, cup and large chunks of uh, chunks of last year's Six Nations, and I think you know Finn Russell is going to be the key to that. But everybody will have to contribute significantly around the field. Okay, why don't we turn to to Wales? Um, well, it was a very difficult year, wasn't it, with Wayne Pivac uh, last year? Uh, at least they're at home. They've got Ireland at home, but not a, not an easy one. Um, why don't we uh, speak to the uh, former Wales and Lions number eight, uh, an old friend of mine, Scott Quinnell, who's on the line. Hi, Scott. Hiya, Moro. How are you? Not too bad. Look, it, it, difficult year. Let, let's draw a veil over that and look, just look forward, which I'm sure most, most people want to do. Uh, at least you're at home, but it is Ireland. So, um, so Ian McGeekin, he wrote in the Telegraph on Sunday that when Pivak's insistence on trying to replicate the free-flowing scarlet side that he was doing, you know... Um, he said it wasn't quite working. He encouraged him to be a bit more pragmatic. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. How, how can you ever, how can you ever uh, disagree with, say, uh, McGee uh, said? Uh, <laughs> you, 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 have a look, you have a look at sometimes, I think. There's, there's elements and areas in rugby where I think you can play. Um, and especially international rugby, where the defences now are, are so good, you know, everybody sort of looks at everything, uh, the line speed, and, and uh, certainly the intensity uh, is, is totally different now from club rugby uh, when, when you look at that. And I think you got you got you got to pick your game. I, I think you play in the right areas. I, I think rugby's always kind of been like that. You know, you if if you're if you're inside your half and it's on, then have a go. I, I, I have no problem with that. But if it's not on, then you got to kick. And uh, for for me, I think a lot of the aimless kick in the game today. I, I like to see to, you to be able to kick the ball, to regain the ball, or, or put sides under pressure 
uh, when they get the ball. Uh, I think that, I think that's the difference. And uh, I, I love the fact that they, they want to play rugby, but like Sir McGee said, I think you need to be more practical about it. I think you need to be more pragmatic about it. And, and uh, you know, take your time, build yourself into the game, uh, and then uh, allow the players then, if they feel it's really on, have a go. Hiya, Scotty. It's Rory Lawson here. How are you doing? Hiya, Rose. How are you? Just uh, looking, at, looking at Wales's fixture list throughout the, the Championship, they've only got the two games at home. And how big an onus does that put on that opening game against Andy Farrell's Ireland side? It's massive. Uh, and it, it's massive because I know Moro said you want to look back, but when you've beaten Ireland twice, you've beaten Georgia, and you've, you've struggled in some of the other games, uh, some of those games might have been, have been really close. England game was close, French game was close. Uh, so, but again, uh, you go back 18 months and Warren Gatlin was saying, we find it hard to lose. We don't know how to lose. And then uh, flip it forward uh, six months, you know, we're finding those games quite difficult to win. Uh, so, I think this Irish game is massive, absolutely massive, because if we win this one, then it puts you on a, a good stead. Then we go, we go to Scotland. Uh, where we got quite a good, if you look at uh, the, you know the, the fixtures up there, you have a look at the results up there. We've got quite a good record up in Scotland, and then of course you got uh, you got you've got England home. Uh, so if we you know if we don't start well against Ireland, then uh, you know it can be uh, certainly a knock-on effect for the rest of the tournament. Scotty, I, I saw you, I saw you throw out there um, on a on a TV show yesterday that you thought Wales were going to win this championship. Now now that you're talking to people outside of Wales. Um, where are the biggest areas of improvement that Wales need to attend to? Because they, they looked they looked like a side in transition. They looked like a side who were a little bit short of ideas, certainly in the Autumn Nations Cup. So what's Wayne Pivak's biggest focus going to have been on within his squad coming into this year's championship? He's got, he's got back a little bit. He's, he's brought some experience back in. I, you know, it's lovely. I, uh, I did the Scrum 5 last night and uh, I say Wales are going to win the Six Nations and everybody's going, what are you talking about? What are you talking this is what the support is supposed to be like. If we don't dream at the start of it, you know, when are you ever supposed to dream? The reality may kick in next weekend or the weekend after, you know what I mean? But the first week, you've got to say, right, OK, if, if I don't believe as an ex-player that we're going to win the championship and those players are sitting in the hotel room for the last week, they're going to be there for the next two months. If they see me saying that we're going to be third, fourth or fifth, what does that say to them? You know, uh, it's remarkable the psychology of of, of, of some people out there. But certainly, uh, Wayne Pivak has brought some experience, and he's brought Dan Lydia back in. He's been able to bring uh, Ken Owens back in from uh, from injury. Uh, you know, so with that, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to go out there and uh, the experience. Uh, I suppose Alwyn Jones. Uh, hasn't played a lot of rugby because he well he hasn't played any rugby. He's come back into the squad. He's still trying to find his fitness to be able to be considered for selection. So you need that experience in and around the squad. Uh, Josh Navidi's come back in, hasn't played a lot of rugby. So there's a lot of guys out there with a huge amount of experience, but not with a lot of rugby behind them. So the, you know it, it, it's going to be a, a confidence builder having those guys in the squad, and hopefully they can go out, they can find a balance. Uh, within that, we'll find out in selection at the end of the week. You know, if Dan Bigger plays, then maybe we play a bit more pragmatic uh, in, in that form of the game. If Jared Evan plays, we probably play the all-encompassing, want-to-play-from-everywhere type of game that he's so good at uh, and has been so good at for, for the Blues. And Callum Sheedy has been so good at 
at, at Bristol. So it'll be interesting to see what selection he does have. Uh, and that way, then, I think we can work out what type of game plan they'll have on Sunday. Well, Navidi and Owens, I think, are, are, are big uh, factors. And uh, I'd add Falatel there because he's had a bit of a fallow period. But uh, look, so before we uh, let you go, we'll be chatting about the Lions' future fairly shortly. And uh, you're two times tourists. I mean, the reports uh, are becoming ever more, uh, well, fantastic, aren't they, about where or not they're going to play. Are they going to play here? Are they going to play in Jersey? Are they going to play in, in Australia? Um, what, what have you made of that? Because from my point of view, let me put them there. It, it, it's important that they do something, I think, even yeah. though it's I, imperfect. I, because you can't put it off to next year. People say, just go next year. There's no room next year. If it doesn't happen this time, it'll be another four years. So, um, it, uh, Ideally, I, I, absolutely ideal scenario, we play South Africa and South Africa. I, th- I think that is everybody's wish and that South Africa's wish and our wish that that's the supporters wish my one thing is Moro we can't play without the crowd anyway uh, you know that, 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 that's a no-go for me it, because you, when you walk onto that pitch and you've got that Lions jersey on and it may be the first time that somebody wears it if you walk into an empty stadium that is not a Lions experience for me uh, they talk about going to Australia do you know what I would do if they are talking about going to Australia and they are thinking about going to Australia then I would flip it I would say okay we play Australia this year we'll play we'll play you this year and that'll give South Africa a chance to get back on their feet for four years time that, that's another thing you, you may think of there's no there's no there's no rationale for me to say that we go to Australia to play South Africa I, I just don't understand because you know they, they, they won't be our fans will the fans be allowed to go so I, I'm not sure about that the, uh, the only thing it, about that Scott though is they'd have to tell the French to go away because they're supposed to be touring there in which case I think that'd be a happy uh, a happy mix all round wouldn't it do you know, Moro? I, I think this would be perfect for you, right? That you could write, the, write, you could write an article that will say the French can play in the warm-up games for the Lions. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's just that's that's got Moro written all over it. I, I, I can see it now. I can see it now. Excellent, Scott. Well, we'll 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 keep everyone posted. So will you, mate? Um, I'm, I'm, it's lovely to hear your enthusiasm. It's infectious. I'm looking forward to everything a lot more now since I've talked to you. Take care, oh, mate. Come on. Have a good one, boys. Have Take a great care. championship. Ta-da. <laughs> Um, look, I mean, the, let's get down to the, 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 the nitty-gritty. I mean, Wales have got players coming back, Rory. I think they're important. Navidi was a big loss to them. Owens was a big loss to them. Uh, as I say, Fallatown needs to find his words. I mean, they, they have to win this game, don't they? They have to win this game at home. Come, it's the first one again. We come down to that. You know, it signals everything else. I, I, to me, I don't care how they, they, from their point of view, how they play. They just need to to register a win, especially with it being Ireland. Definitely, yeah. I I, I think the you know everybody in Wales needs needs a lift with a a win from their side. Um, I, it's a, it's a different dynamic this this time round with no crowds. So you know that that home advantage will be reduced a bit. You know the principality factor. The roof on eighty thousand um, Welsh fans baying for blood. Um, you know that that is is not going to be there, but it actually increases the importance of, of that win even further for Wales. I think. I think they they need to get out the blocks. They are, they are on the road to to Scotland off a short short turnaround for week two, and then then they go to Twickenham. So they must get out the blocks. I, I, Scotty touched on it 
you know, having having Owens back in the mix, having Navidi back fit, having George North playing some really good rugby, Falatau back fit, Lydia in the squad, you know, there's Tipperick in, in the back row. We've seen we've seen these guys at the top of their form. Lions year, there's there will there will be that extra edge. There'll be an awareness that every every inclusion, every impact that you have on a game throughout the Six Nations is right under the microscope. So um, I expect to see a Welsh side reacting. I'll be really interested to see the style of play that they have. Um, but, you know, no, nobody. I, I know Wayne Pivak from covering uh, a lot of the rugby when he was at, at the Scarlets. He's a, he's a really top bloke. He's been chucked into the, into the fires of Welsh rugby after Warren Gatland. Um, but he will be so, so desperate for a win. Let's turn to France. I mean, their opening game, Italy, it's, a, it's an almost a foregone conclusion if you look at the uh, the results over the past six years for Italy. How impressed have you been with them under their new management? And for me in particular, the 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 consistency of selection and, and the direction in which they've clearly indicated they want to go. Yeah, I think it's I think it's brave. Um, it's potentially the well. It is definitely the long game because he's you know he's got he's going with a selection of young players. He's he's barely got a player in over thirty in his squad. You've got pa- Paolo Garbisi at fly half who looks like a real talent. Um, I just I, Italy, as much as they you know they they've got some they've got some really good players within their side. Um, I just think for me until they start winning games. They're they're right up against it. Paledri's injury, you know, missing all international rugby this year is going to be a huge, huge blow for them. Yes, they've got other uh, back row ability. Uh, Staying in the back row is a big ball carrier, but you know, I just think Italy are going to have to do something huge to turn things around. And I think this is a long game being played in Italian rugby to try and develop them for the for the next World Cup. And if they could pick up one win within this competi- in, in this championship. They, they do have three games at home, France, Ireland and Wales, all at home. So if they could nick something from one of those games, I think that would be a big result for them. You're perfectly qualified to make this judgment, much more so than me. Antoine Dupont, um, just how good is he? World class. Absolutely world class. Because, you know, Aaron Smith has been for the past couple of years the, the number one scrum half in the world. For me, people have thrown Faf de Klerk into that mix. I think Faf de Klerk is a different nine who has had some outstanding moments, but not uh, consistently throughout games. He was he was he was very good in a in a dominant physical South African side. But I think Antoine Dupont for me is just has it all. He he has physical attributes that you don't necessarily expect for from a scrum half the ability to fend and bump off opponents um, in in tight exchanges. He's, he's got a big uh, piston fend that gets gets defenders off him. He can step off both feet. His basics are very good. His pass is probably not quite world class just yet. Um, he does he does throw uh, the, the odd one out there that's not all that accurate. But his, his kicking game is very good. Like um, the difference that, you know, so anybody who's not tuned into French rugby, the scrum half in France is the equivalent of the fly half in 
in any other country in the world, whereby he is the conductor. Everything goes through him. In France, it is the scrum half. It is the number nine who does everything. And Dupont is the perfect guy. He's a threat. He keeps the uh, fringe defenders on their toes. He puts people into space. And he is always, always, always there for a second touch. And when you have guys, the power runners that France do to break the line and create a, a one-off bust, if he can get a second touch with a bit of space, he is devastating. So, you know, I obviously think he's quite good. Good. <laughs> um, and any team who play against France have to put him under pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, just as a conclusion, it's not just the what he it's yeah it's not just the speed of doing, it's the speed of thought before he does. You know, he's approaching things, he sees things early, he sees options, and then he goes. And of course, if you've got the two together, you know, it gives you a you know, the combination is even more devastating. Tell you what, uh, let's let's switch to the women's game. Um, women's Six Nations is off at the moment, but we've got Simon Middleton, the England's women's head coach, on the line who can take us through this. Hello, Simon. Hi, Brian. Look, you had a 2020 to remember, no Six Nations this time. Um, how much of an impact is that going to have on you and your team? You've got the big one coming up in New Zealand later. It's far from ideal. The tournament executive, Ben Moore, said we can expect... Uh, uh, an announcement as to when it will go ahead, but I mean, have you heard anything? Well, we know there's uh, there's work going on uh, behind the, the scenes. Here. A lot, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of good work to try and get get the, uh, the the Six Nations on. We're hopeful that something will go ahead. Uh, you know, potentially springtime or, or maybe a little bit off the back of spring. But obviously, we're getting pretty close to the World Cup now. Simon, I've got a, a couple of questions um, for you on this. Um, the, fir- the first one is, is focused around a standalone Women's Six Nations. How big an opportunity could be that for championing the game, ultimately in the spring with better weather, whereby the competition for international rugby isn't there with the, with the mirroring of the, of the men's Six Nations? And, and actually, I'll, I'll have you answer that one first, and I'll come in with my second question about the World Cup. Yeah, thanks, Rory. No problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it gives us a great opportunity, doesn't it? It's, uh, I mean, I suppose there's, there's sort of pluses and minuses for both scenarios, but to get an opportunity to to uh, run the, the competition as a standalone gives us, you know, gives us that opportunity to to uh, to to open ourselves up to probably a wider audience who, who you know, they love the, the rugby, but you know, they get a lot of bit dominated by the men, men's tournament when it's going ahead. So I think to have ourselves just there uh, and, and, and playing in the competition by ourselves would be, you know, it gives us a great opportunity. Uh, and obviously you know, it lends itself, doesn't it? If, if the weather does improve, it lends itself to, to a different type of rugby. And uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think the potential is massive for it. And uh, if it does go ahead, it'd be great to see sort of how it pans out, what sort of reaction there is from the crowd, what sort of rugby uh, it brings. And uh, yeah, it could, uh, it could definitely pave the way. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, I've loved watching some of the, of the women's games um, recently in, in recent years. And it's great to see the, the profile of the, the game continuing to build. And on that note, a World Cup later this year, um, I guess it's a slightly cheeky question perhaps, but New Zealand are the holders 
and New Zealand is the least affected country in the world. And rugby goes as normal, their training goes as normal, the country runs as normal. What are you trying to put in place to be able to narrow that gap um, as much as possible, given the, the challenges that you, you, you face in the current uh, setup with, with COVID? Well, I, I think it's... It, I mentioned this uh, last time I spoke with Brian. I, th- I think COVID itself and, and lockdown, in a way, actually, it gives us quite a bit of preparation for when we, when we go to New Zealand in actual fact, because one of the things we sort of kicked around was was how we would cope with, you know, being away from home for so long, uh, probably, you know, people away from, from, from the people who are closest to them and uh, away from your creature comforts, et cetera, and, and, and just sort of being in a, a situation where life was very much not the norm. Uh, and so we've got a bit of a dress rehearsal. So so lockdown or the various forms of lockdown in themselves have, have been a bit of a, a dress rehearsal for us. Now, but off the, off the back of that, obviously, you know, with us falling into the elite sport category, we, we've been able to keep training. Uh, we, we just had a, a two-week break and, and the AP15s have had a two-week break. But, but outside that, you know, we, we've got a pretty uh, rigorous training programme going on. So from a physical point of view, and from a rugby point of view, you know, we, we are getting quite a lot of exposure and we're, we're pretty happy with a with the programme. Uh, I suppose the stuff that we have missed is, is like the competitive uh, games and you know, obviously the Six Nations being moved uh, doesn't help us, us in that in that regard. But ultimately, you've just got to deal with the, with the things that you can deal with. And, you know, it's a bit of an old adage, but that, that's pretty much what we do. We, you know, we control the controllables. We're really confident in the programme we've got. Uh, I think the longer it goes on, sort of in a fashion, the the, the 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 more pressure it takes off all the other nations going there, and the more pressure it puts on New Zealand because you say they've pretty much got everything going in their favour, you know. And I, and I think you know, a lot of that goes with when you host a tournament, you get that anyway, and rightly so. Uh, but they've just got a few more things going for them at the moment. But that's okay. It's like anything is. We're, we're in elite sport for the challenge, and this is going to be. Uh, that be the ultimate one. So we're just going to look forward to it. Simon, well, look, uh, thanks very much for that. When you do know what's going on with the Women's Six Nations, please tell us. <laughs> I'll give you a call and let you know. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> no problem. Cheers. Time for some questions now. Um, well, we've actually covered some of these. Um, one from Greg. Would it be better to host a Lions tour in the UK in place of the Autumn Internationals? Don't see the point in having a tour in Australia. Uh, where neither the Lions or South Africa fans can attend. Now, before I ask Rory about this, all these things, you've got to remember, you cannot just plonk a Lions tour in another part of the calendar. You can't just say, have it next year, have it in the autumn, because it's full. And this is a problem at the moment World Rugby are having. They're trying to find a globalised season because of various things in the professional gaming France and England and all these things. You simply can't do that. So anyone suggesting, just put it there. Sorry, it doesn't work. It's got to be in the tournament slot it's in now. So you're therefore talking about whether it's here or there. Scott Cridell gives his views earlier. What, what, what's your view, Rory, about... Uh, give it, look, give us... The, the ideal scenario is he could play in South Africa with fans. If they, can't play, if they can't play in South Africa without fans, is that good enough for you as a tour? Or would you prefer it to be over here with out fans or with a few fans? Because they're not going to get, I don't think, full stadia. Well, it's, it's, a, it's an ever-moving machine, isn't it? I think that's the biggest challenge, is that 
at what there has to be a call made at some stage. And, you know, is is that decision, if that decision came and, you know, the, the, the fans from the UK and Ireland could travel down to South Africa and have a, have a traditional tour in South Africa, we would be all over it. Would be, we would be knocking the doors down to do that and have an element of normality, even if it was socially distanced, masked, whatever it took. Um, but the reality is that is a long, long way off. And even if the if, even if the the vaccine comes into play and so on, the, it's still the the call has to be made probably before we can say right it's going to be in South Africa with fans. So we're now looking at well three scenarios ultimately with the with the Australian option um, thrown into into the mix. I suppose I'll start with that one. Is it would be great to have fans in 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 the stadiums for for the games, but. Taking it to Australia for me, yes, there are loads of expats over there. There are lots of South Africans and lots of people from the British Isles. Um, but that, that whilst it's, a, it's an idea, I'm just not sure that's the option. Um, I think the tour, does the tour just become three test matches? That's another factor because if it's, if it's, in, if it's in Australia, you, you're not going to take the bulls, the sharks, the Lions over there as well, I assume, but maybe they are. Um, UK with crowds, great, but then you lose the touring feel. I said at the, at the start, it's a tour. It's a Lions tour. And I think it would be strange for the Lions to be in the UK. Having said that, if I was sat at you know Murrayfield or Twickenham or Principality or the Aviva Stadium watching the Lions play South Africa in a full stadium, I think I'd be pretty pleased. So I think it, a UK option with crowds would be the best of a bad bunch, quite frankly, at the moment. Um, but I think it's the ambiguity that's killing us all, the speculation that's, and, you know, the, the little bits of gossip that are flying around, which are so you know, difficult. Have you got any idea about when the cutoff point is to make the decision? Because although, you know, it seems fairly, you know, it's a few months away, they, they cut, it, cut, it must be imminent. It must, they must be almost down to the wire as to what decision they're going to make one way or another. For, for all the logistical reasons. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I, I think if it's, if it's to be... Well, I, I think it has to be this month or the next month at very latest, March at the very latest. Yeah. Um, and the way things are going in the UK, I mean, I think... Uh, I think if the UK could have crowds versus South Africa with uh, without crowds, yeah. I think the Springboks would come um, up to the up to the UK and Ireland and play a test series up here. I think yeah. that would be their preferred option. Because, like all unions, the financial implications of COVID and no crowds um, has been so significant. South Africa have been without international rugby since the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. So, you know, they are desperate for action. They're desperate for commercial revenue. Um, so I think the way things are going, if I had to nail my flag to the mast, I would say it would be in the UK with crowds. OK, and I'll just deal with this on my own for the final question from Six Ways Golden Blue. Do you think that clashing international matches with elite club fixtures stumps the growth of a club game and decreases the league integrity? I mean, look at football, imagine the EPL without players like... Uh, Kane, De Bruyne, Salah. Yes, it does. But unfortunately, until you get an agreed global season, um, there's nothing you can do about that. And that's a real problem. And it's not something that's going to be fixed 
uh, in the near future, I'm afraid. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Wood's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to my co-host, Rory Lawson, and to all of our guests. If you enjoyed the episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes and stay up to date on all things sport. You can head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact where listeners can get 30 days access to all the Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free. I'll be back next Monday when we'll be reviewing the opening round to the Six Nations. Let's hope for an 11-try thriller at Twickenham, whichever way it goes. Until then, it's goodbye and stay safe.